0: Oh, uh, yeah, it feels so good to sit down.
1: Yeah, take a load off. I heard good things about this place, uh, the troubled duck. Very excited uh, to eat. Here. I can't wait
0: to eat. Oh, my yes. gosh. Oh, my gosh, Ray. I'm so hungry. Give me some of that bread. Ooh. Give me some of that bread, yeah, real yeah, quick. Yeah, here you go. Yeah. Here you go. Oh, oh yeah.
1: Man, that bread looks and sounds oh. fresh. Is that what uh,
0: right? What's the freshest bread I've ever eaten? Mm.
1: Fresh to death. Oh, I'm so hungry. Good. Mm. Oh. Talking to Gary. Oh, made me so hungry. Worked up an appetite. I'm pretty, I mean, what's the word, tepid? Alexa, is is that the word?
2: The adjective tepid is usually defined as moderately warm, lukewarm. So no, this is not the word.
1: Uh, Oh, okay. So what's another word for thirsty?
2: Synonyms for thirsty meaning dry, desirous, especially for liquid, include, impatient, keen, or inclined.
1: All right, then. I am inclined to drink this water. Mm, good,
0: good fresh bread, mm. Yeah. Oh my God. Well, Gary was really interesting. Super interesting. Uh, Alexa, do you know anything about Gary Lucas?
2: Gary Lucas is an American guitarist who was a member of Captain Beefheart's band. He formed the band Gods and Monsters in 1989. Lucas has collaborated with Leonard Bernstein, Jeff Buckley, John Cale, Nick Cave, David Johansson, Mm. and Lou Reed.
1: I bet you don't know where he grew up.
2: Right down the road in Syracuse, New York.
1: Damn it. Oh, should have known. Oh, here comes the
2: soup.
3: Oh, here is the soup. Wow. Let's see
0: how the soup is.
1: What kind of soup did you get? Oh, no,
0: Oh. It's cream of broccoli. Oh. creamy. Oh. Oh. What kind of soup did you get?
1: Oh, this? This is a house salad.
0: Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh. How is it? Mmm. Very hot. Ah. <coughs> mm. oh, you know, you know what I thought was really interesting about Gary was hmm. that he uh, composed the music to that um, horror film. What was that?
1: Oh, yeah, The Golem. Uh, about the Jewish Frankenstein, I believe. Uh, it's like uh, from the 20s, 1920.
2: In Jewish folklore, a golem is an animated anthropomorphic being that is created entirely from inanimate matter. The word was used to mean an amorphous, unformed material in psalms and medieval writing. The most famous golem narrative involves Judah Lo Ben Bezalel, the late 16th century Good, rabbi huh? of Prague. Oh.
1: tasty. Yeah, uh, Gary's actually performing this uh, score that he composed, um, performing it March 4th at the uh, Cornell University in Ithaca, New York, March 4th. Yeah? Right down the road. Mm. Right down the road. Mm. This baked
0: potato is something else. Mm.
1: Hey, uh, Hey, Alexa, can you pass the monkfish? You know what? The fruit snacks will do. Thank you.
2: Here you go, Ray. Watch out the plate is hot. Ooh, let me get let me
0: get
1: a couple of those. Yeah, dude. Ah. Mm. What are these Welches? Oh. Mm. Is there a mystery one in there? Thank you. Save yeah. the mystery one for me, please. Yeah, yeah uh, Gary also has a uh, a essential Gary Lucas double C D retrospective album coming out. Um, he'll be playing uh, release shows in April in support of that. Uh, Just visit garylucas.com for all Gary Lucas news. He's got a lot going on, that is for sure.
4: Yeah, Gary's a busy guy.
1: Very busy. He is so damn busy. And, you know, not to get off topic here, um, but there's a guy uh, from Buffalo who's also very busy. Very busy guy. Uh, His name is Brandon Schlia, and he's the man behind Steak and Cake Records. And we just wanted to um, give a shout-out to them for doing great work and also mention Steak and Cake Records nine year anniversary is uh, just a week and a half away uh, it's Saturday February 15th at Curly's on the west side that's Curly's on the west side not oh, Curly's. I love
3: Steak
0: and Cake mm. <laughs> yes mm. Mm.
1: you can get Steak and mm. Cake at 1 Curly's in Lackawanna but this is Curly's on the west side and um, yeah he's going to have a bunch of uh, Steak and Cake artists performing Basically, more or less all evening uh, from 7 to 11-something. Uh, so it's going to be a good time. And uh, if you like Buffalo music and you want to support uh, a wellspring of Buffalo yeah, music. Nine years is a long time. Nine years is a long time. So shout out to them for doing that. Uh, yeah, Steak and Cake Records. Um, all right. All right. Well, without further ado, we're going to get back to our meals. Um Oh, I'm good. about to get balls deep in this remoulade, so mm. without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, JVB's Big Dip interview with the Thinking Man's guitarist, Gary Lucas.
0: Yeah, thank Gary. Oh, so good. Man, Alexa, your shirt is some sort of tight, huh?
2: Oh, boy. All
1: right. We're here on the phone with Gary Lucas. Gary's list of credits is impressive to say the least. Far too long to fully get into here, but uh, he was a, a fan, a friend, occasional manager of Don Van Vliet, AKA Captain Beefheart, before joining Beefheart's Magic Band in 1980. Fast forward 39 years to 2009 where he was named by Britain's classic rock magazine to be one of the top 100 greatest living guitarists. And in October of 2013, he received a Lifetime Achievement Award at the Berezzi Festival in Parma, Italy
0: yeah and uh we're just also glad that uh you know people we look to up to in music are normal approachable cool, uh, oh, cool yeah. guys so uh we really appreciate it Gary and uh you know you wrote uh, your book as as well uh touched by Grace, your time with Jeff Buckley is that was that like something that you wanted to get off your chest or is it because of nerd, yeah, n- nerds yes. like us uh, no, always asking I, about the story
4: <laughs> No, I'm happy to always you know talk. About working with Jeff, and I, I, try and give him, you know, enormous props because he was so great. But there, I had an opportunity to kind of tell the whole side of my story in depth, because I was sort of fed up seeing things written that would have factual mistakes, and then, you know, mm-hmm. going through the process of writing a letter to the editor, and what you know they would publish them usually, but then you know they didn't to have any impact. People would forget about it, and then these stories would get repeated again. So, yeah. That I just thought I got a shot to put it all on the record as best I recall it once and for all. Yeah, you know, so, you know, I took the opportunity. Yeah. You know, I, I, I'm. You know, have you had a chance to read it? I wonder because, you know, it's a. It's well, it's a long book. Yeah, but right. I tried to yeah. make it very very, you know, chatty as if I was just talking to you.
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And also it got great
4: reviews, you know, as
0: as it came out. It was awesome.
4: Yes. Uh, That was nice. I've not received one bit of hate mail from any Buckley fan today. Anyway, so yeah, you know, I was just trying to keep it real because too often in the music biz. You know, they repeat stuff that, you know, doesn't really reflect accurately. Sure, yeah. Situations and then it's like, you know, to enhance auras of people.
0: And, like, uh, I, I yeah. think you talk about it a, a lot, like, you know, how, how credit is so important.
4: Yeah, I think it is. I mean, you know, I'm still fighting in certain instances for that. Mm-hmm. I mean, once in a while... <laughs> I mean, look, you know, it's funny because I was asked at the last minute to do a short film score performance yesterday at the uh, Anthology Film Archives in a tribute to Jonas Makis. Mm. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it went really well, and I was, like, honored to be asked to do it. But, uh, you know, it was oftentimes... A situation where I put in, you know, appearances, and I would not even get listed <laughs> anywhere. And yeah, I mean, the, my very first gig at the knitting Factory, I was sort of uh, left out of the ad in the Village Voice I, for some reason. Yeah, I don't know. And you know, I was this sort of sense. like, "Oh, this is going to be a disaster." But then they, you know, had a line around the block. I don't know I, guess I put a few flyers out, but maybe word of mouth.
1: Sure.
4: But credit's important. Yeah, it definitely is. And especially with that, because people for forever have thought, you know, gee, uh, who's this Gary Lucas guy? I do get a credit in the special thanks for Magical Guitarness, and I'm duly listed as a co-writer of the first two songs. But mm-hmm. it was not really... Uh, Made known in interviews or press releases on the part of Sony uh, that Jeff did, yeah, or that were about Jeff that I, you know, had had, you know, a writing relationship, and also he played in my band, mm-hmm. right, those, for a year, but yeah,
0: so. that album starts off amazing, you know, the Mojo. and yeah. Grace, right there. Hey,
4: the first. And that's right. That, and actually, the first note on the record is me. Uh, <laughs> is Mojo Pin? It's like this droning, yeah, uh, guitar-like you know thing that goes on. It's a loop I created, and uh, anyway,
1: that's so cool.
0: Yeah, and that's like yeah. w- w- like known as one of the greatest v- albums of all time as well. Like that's yes, right up there. So. It is. Mm-hmm.
3: So I feel really
4: honored about that. I mean, I have a new album that's out. Uh, it's available, I believe, uh, in the U.S. now as an import, but it was done for an Italian label. It's called The Complete Jeff Buckley and Gary Lucas Songbook, and it consists of uh, the dozen songs I co-wrote with Jeff uh, when he was the singer in the God's and Masters project that I'd started you know, in, a, in this period. And new studio versions, five of these songs have never before come out officially in any format, Oh wow. either live or anything. So, yeah, that was just voted album of the year by Classic Rock Magazine Italy. Amazing. Yeah. So that was nice. I mean, you know, anyway. Yeah. Hopefully more people will pick up on this over time. And, For
1: sure. Yeah. We urge our listeners to check that out. Definitely.
4: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um,
0: yeah, so it's it's funny cuz I remember when Songs to No One came out, I think, um, you know, you'd go to, at the time I'd go to flea markets to get, like, bootlegs, you know, shows and stuff. I think I bought a VHS of the album to, like, pictures.
3: And I was like, oh, cool.
4: (laughs) (laughs) That's really cool. I never shot at it, but I got people bootlegs. Yeah. Yeah.
0: (laughs) And it's just cool to talk to people, you know, that are, you know, this is great.
4: yeah. (laughs) <laughs> it's so, uh, well songs to no one is a good uh you know primer of the on the early stuff but again it was frustrating because it only represents seven out of the 12 songs mm. i was not allowed by the estate to choose any of the material unfortunately for go figure and uh yeah you know it, it's uh Anyway, it's just it's one of those things. It's like really, um, you know, again, I was happy to see something come out reflecting our relationship. Mm-hmm. But I think, you know, I probably could have done a better selection Uh-oh. of material, but I was hamstrung uh, just contractually. So. But
0: sure. that was very much anyway. your style, like it, the yeah. finger picking and... Yeah. It was. I think it was a really good tribute to like your your style. What would you consider your style to be?
4: Well, you know that's a good question. Uh, I think it's certainly an individual style. It's based largely on use of fingers. This is something that goes back to my time with Captain Beefheart, because there to get, uh, be able to play his music, you needed an aggressive right hand with finger picking techniques and. Uh That was something I just avoided uh, up until the point uh I joined his band. I mean, I've been playing since I was nine, but I was really a very active flat-picking guitarist. And I could emulate the sound sometimes of finger-picking through flat-picking, but no one really showed me the rudiments of it. And it wasn't until I got to college that I, I met some guys who became very good friends. Mm-hmm. And they were super accomplished. They could play totally John Fahey or Mississippi John Hurt mm-hmm. style fingerpicking. And they used metal and uh, shell fingerpicks too on their fingers. Now, that was something I could never handle. So uh, I developed my own technique just by uh, persistence because I was sent a piece by Don Van called flavor bud living and uh he said you gotta you know learn this and uh i found that by cutting my fingernails short well, on both hands and then just using the pads of my fingertips i'd get them tough enough if i you know did it over a steady uh amount of time they'd toughen themselves up and become calloused and that that was a lot of my sound hmm. was that sound you know um and i still will on electric guitar use a flat pick occasionally uh but a lot of the sounds that i'm known for are done just with the naked right hand okay wow. finger picking you know like grace for instance
3: your mm-hmm.
4: wow. finger pick Yeah. so uh so that's one stylistic trait i use a lot of open tunings also i'm a big believer
0: yeah i seen that you had a master class that the uh yeah that you were talking a lot about open tunings, and i had mentioned to my buddy and he was like no way i need to check this thing out right away (laughs) yeah yeah but i mean
4: you know it's like i'm not even (laughs) there's some you know artists such as joni mitchell i think she kind of developed 70 different tunings of her own device. And yeah, I, I, you know, have a few favorites. Mm -hmm. They're nothing too, you know, arcane. They're like actually tunings that were used back in the day of the country blues heyday. Okay. Uh, But, uh, you know, I think I did some unusual twists on them.
1: Anyway. How did that come uh, about, the opportunity to... uh... Teach a master class?
4: Oh, uh, I think I was asked in Holland uh, right around 99 or 2000. It was suggested, you know, it'd be really good to do this at the uh, Music Conservatorium. And uh, so for many years, I would once or twice a year do uh, workshops there and classes, Mm -hmm. sometimes, you know, one on one with a handful of students bring their guitars. Other times they were more like lecture demonstrations. Okay. But also talk about working in the music booth, what to expect (laughs) or what to beware of, you know, to try and just yeah. That's very important stuff to know. Yeah, no, I I'd like to be able to, you know, if people are interested to impart whatever wisdom You know, the knowledge I've acquired over the years through a lot of, you know, despite a lot of setbacks from time to time, you know, I just kept going.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. It-
4: yesterday, Jim Jarmusch, uh, the director, came up after I played. And I'd met him once a long time ago. And I hadn't really seen him. I had a conversation with him since. And he was very nice. He he loved what I played for Jonas Mika's. Uh, who ran Anthology Film Archive? And then cool. he said, It's great that you're still producing work. Yeah. And that was nice, you know, because it's like I put it. well over 30 albums out under my name or in collaboration with people or their group names. And then I played on another 50 or 75 mm-hmm. as, you know, guest or Sideman or something. So, uh, yeah, I mean, when I decided to do it full time, which really in the year nineteen ninety I left my day job determined to just support myself in music. Right, right. Uh I, 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 you know, knew I was in it for the long haul. Mm-hmm. Many people were skeptical about that because <laughs> I was already 38, you know. So they were like, Oh, you know, guy doesn't have a shot, there's no chance and you know, sometimes when things slow down, that's what it feels like. And then, you know something usually turns up. Exactly. And uh like a you know, whole slew of gigs came for, through uh, in the uh the end of the year last year I and mean, I did five solid weeks of touring in Italy, uh France, Belgium and Holland. Mm-hmm. And I just got a booking in, in the UK where I've toured extensively coming up in end of april so you know i do the you know certainly i apply myself every day to try and hustle gigs and
0: And it's it's not it it
4: hasn't been that easy i mean only because to find consistent agents for a guy like me where they can't really pigeonhole what it is Mm. or how to sell me because you know i'm all over the map let's say with music stylistically
0: but, sure. like, if yeah. I was a if I was an agent, like, I would look at all of the stuff that you do. I, it doesn't seem like you uh, um, say no to a gig. You know, you're constantly working. That's something. Yeah, if, no. I, if I was an well, agent, I'd be like, this is amazing. This guy's no, going to go true, to work but, for me.
4: Okay. I, well, I like your, your gung-ho attitude. You know? I'm not going to take any old you know? No, Especially, I know what you mean. But it's, it seems yeah. that you yeah. have so
0: much work. Well, a lot.
4: Yeah. I do, you know out of, you know, love but also out of necessity because mm. these days as, as you know, the music is having sort of cratered with the the, the old business model of royalties, <laughs> you know, and songwriting and some of those songs I wrote for Jeff and Joan Osborne and everything brought in, you know, good paydays for some years, but what with the advent of digitization and Spotify, whatnot. The return is minuscule compared to what it was. I mean it's fractions of percentages of of pennies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and what used to be a couple of pennies if they sold us a DVD song on it, they would know, earn a lot, you know, relatively to what it is now. Just some bad deals were made by the labels and they've stuck. They haven't been undone and changed. Sure. Certainly to the creator's advantage. So Yeah, I mean, I love to play live, but again, like you know, I got my minimums, and rarely will I accept a gig now to go below them unless I see, you know, that it's an investment of some sort that might pay off. Yeah, to do it. I mean, the day where people would say, "Oh, you got to do this gig because it's good exposure." you know we're gonna <laughs> yeah. pay you nothing but well, <laughs> that's <laughs> a, <it's> a <laughs> a, well that's an old one they've used that one for years do a door gig cause it's good exposure you know yeah. Yeah. it's ridiculous I mean you know door gigs historically don't pay anything not at all because they don't promote them and you know they just they need content so that they might get some customers in the club or the bar exactly and, you know sell some drinks and stuff but, yeah yeah. I
1: won't do them <laughs> 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 now, um, when we spoke last week, before we uh, before we had to get off the phone, right. I brought up your collaboration with John Kale, which I couldn't find anything on. But you said that there yeah, was well, a story
4: there—it's a sad. Well, okay, the story basically is: I've known him a long time. Mm-hmm. He doesn't live in New York anymore, but he used to live pretty close to me in the West Village. And we were in the gym to go, you know. So, and I did some gigs co-build with him. Once in uh, Maxwell's, which was in Hoboken, and once in Israel, at a festival, and it was friendly. You know, as was Lou, I was very flattered. They both of them, you know, l- liked my music. And, sure, you know, I wound up playing with them both at different times. But, uh, but with John, you know, what happened was his girlfriend at the time—this has to be ten, at least ten years ago—I ran into her and she said, know." Yeah. I know, you know, your friends are gone, and I think you guys would be really good playing together. Oops, that's my dog, you yeah, know, because oh. my wife's about to walk in the door, here. so she gets very excited. So. <laughs> All right, so, get, wait, Caroline, I'm doing a phone interview. So I'm on the phone being interviewed. So I'll be off in a bit. So, uh, thank you. Anyway... I said, well, i mentioned it to John, you know, but he was not really forthcoming. So she said, well, I think if you approach him now, he said yes. Mm -hmm. So I said, oh, okay, I'll do one more shot. So he said, yeah, why don't you come into this studio I've been working in and bring your guitar. So I went and I had a piece, uh, a very beautiful piece I wrote, and I wrote it for Jeff, before Jeff died. Oh, wow. And Jeff loved it, and then he died. So it remained unfinished. But it was, you know, and uh, so I gave it to John, and so he started work on it, and I had to go to another session. And then he said, come on in a couple days later, and he transformed the music. He chopped it up a lot with Pro Tools, mm. moved stuff around and added stuff, but it was really cool, and it was a song called Peter Laurie. Peter uh, yeah. Cool. After the horror film acting. That's uh, really good. And uh, so but then you know, nothing happened and he never did he never finally mixed it fully or you know, fixed whatever he thought there was work that still be, needed to be done. Mm-hmm. on it. So that was frustrating. So uh a couple of years ago on SoundCloud I put it up. And uh, you know, as a collaboration as a showcase for the track, I thought it needed to be heard sure. and uh it started to get all of this great notices and hits on it, and then I heard from his new girlfriend, <laughs> John is very upset, he'd like you to take it down, he's not happy with his vocal on it simply, so I took it down, so yeah, it's like one of those things it's you know, I wish I could officially put it out there and unleash it to the world, but...
1: Of course, yeah. You know,
4: it, it's just... Uh, yeah, you know, I have to respect his wishes. Yeah. And anyway, I haven't yeah. talked to him in a few years or seen him. He's moved to LA, but uh, I think he's one of the greats, you know. Oh, absolutely. Have done more together. Maybe we will eventually. Sure. But he's a hard guy, too to pin down and so was Lou you know so uh, anyway my policy basically is uh, I don't chase after people to work with them mm-hmm. I usually give them one you know call or something and that's it if, if it, works out, really it works out it works out yeah mm-hmm. and so here this came about because John was interested in it. that's why like it even we got in the same room together
3: right, right. and it
4: got as far as it did and then you know for whatever reason he pulled back but I can tell you, I mean, I think it's one of the best things I ever do with uh-huh. another collaborator. So I don't think it's that it was really a shortcoming of the work at all. Sure, sure. And, uh, yeah.
1: So well, I hope to hear it someday.
4: Yeah. yeah. Right? yeah. yeah. Hey, well, you, just you
1: know, I'll send you an MP3
4: warning. Right. <laughs> That'd be great. Do you think that some of the
0: uh, um you know, you have so many great collaborations, and I I think sometimes now with social media, you know, people are more about themselves. Do you feel that more as a musician, where you know sometimes people aren't willing to collaborate there because they have their
4: Instagram well, or their Yeah, I don't know what you know. It's funny to me. A good collaboration is you know brings out the best in the collaborators, and then the work is sometimes much greater. Mm-hmm. and some, some, you know, than what the, each individual might have brought to the table if they'd just done it themselves. I think that's true of what I do with Jeff. I wrote him a letter about the same ones that said that. Um, because, for instance, I had the music of Grace and it was called Rise Up to Be. And uh, I tried working on some of the, you know, my version of, you know, of putting a melody lyric to it before I ran into him. and and uh, it wasn't as good, you know. And it was much better that Jeff came in and elevated it. I just think you inspire each other. You, know, you can, and if it's a successful collaboration, well, sure.
1: Yeah.
3: So
4: I'm a believer in it. But you know, I can't. I'm not about to talk anybody anything. I can't stand chasing people and trying to right yeah no if they're not on the same page from really early on what's the point
1: exactly yeah it's not worth it it's like
4: move on it's not worth yeah so but i'm up for it you know i think that uh you know makes sense Mm -hmm. but i won't again it's like i'm kind of now people are hitting on me all the time i'll send me some music because they know about how i worked with jeff and Mm-hmm. Those all those songs started as my guitar instrumental pieces. Right, I thought that was a really good way to work, and I know that Johnny Moore and Morrissey worked that way, and that was actually probably an inspiration to do that with Jeff, because wow, cool, you know dude. that was their their methodology. And, uh, so I'm not gonna give music to any old. Yeah, you know, I mean, I, you could, I. It's not like I'm a snob, or. Uh, I just have to believe that it's going to be applied and go somewhere.
1: Right, it's in good so hands. Wanna, like, in you know, a
4: warehouse, to give some music to somebody and then they just sit out.
1: Yeah, exactly. They don't do anything
4: with it. I want it to go and be heard.
1: Absolutely. So, yeah. You also, um, you play, you were on uh, Chris Cornell's Carry on, right? Yeah, that, that, yeah. You were on every song, right? If I'm. If I'm oh, mistaken. I think
4: about eight of them. Okay. Like many of them. Yeah, yeah.
1: that's a that's. Was, yeah. Was, was that process collaborative at all, or was that kind no, of?
4: No, uh, well, let's say I did come up with a few of my own ideas. Parts, uh-huh. but I didn't really push a writing credit because, I mean, there's instances you have to pull back on that. Uh, normally. If I go into a collaboration, I mean, I used to get in writing. This is a 50 50 collaboration because a lot of times work blows up. And yeah, happened when he had that happen with his project, obviously, mm-hmm. where claims were made by other members like, oh, I didn't get enough credit on this side. There were disputes over publishing and writing splits. Uh, and I, I, <laughs> you know, I understand it. So it's best to get that. Out front. Now, I did give him some music and suggest that he, you know, write on it, but he, you know, he never committed to it. And I think it's because basically artists would like to keep as much of the writing published, especially ones with powerful managers. Right, sure. <laughs> yeah. They, want, they, want they don't want to relinquish that. Yep. Because that's, you know, so, okay, I got that. So then I was like, you know, guitar for hire, but I I can tell you. I added little bits and pieces. But he was a wonderful guy. You know, he was a real gentleman. And uh, I really miss him. He was a fantastic uh, vocalist. He was. All around great artist and songwriter. And uh, I was mystified to hear about his passing. I just didn't expect that if right.
1: you coming, you know. didn't make sense i guess but
4: no, no 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 but i mean you know i guess everybody has their demons
1: yeah sure
4: it's just i, I you know <laughs> i do too but i i love to you know keep playing music and mm-hmm. then i'm just here to do this until you know i well i hope if but when i go there's a guitar in my hand <laughs> right right <laughs>
0: Well, there sure is something for everybody. I feel in your work, you know. Thank you. Yeah, that it. uh, Like the the classical guitar, and you had the 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 pop. The
1: what what Uh, was the pop project? The Chinese pop. Yeah, that was really really.
3: Oh yeah. Yeah.
4: Oh well, thank you. Well, listen, I mean that's still active. Okay. I have a really great vocalist named Seiyan, who's mainland Chinese, who I hooked up with a couple years ago. And I have two albums in the can with her, oh nice, that I'm trying to get situated right now, uh as far as getting them released. i are just I think it's you know important that we get this out soon, sure, yeah, uh, and I, you know I think that I got drawn into Chinese music really as a result of spending a couple of my formative years in Taipei. It's a long story about how I got there. Mm-hmm. But basically I was shipped out uh to work in the family uh import export base. Uh it's a long story. <laughs> I don't have you will know, have to wait for the next book. <laughs> know, I don't know, be in there. But but I had a Chinese uh sweetheart while I was living overseas in Taiwan and uh she introduced me to some beautiful Music that was made in Shanghai in the 30s and 40s. And uh, uh, I fell in love with this music and we got married also. And I turned as many people as I knew onto it, mm-hmm. uh, including Tom Fembley, Captain Beefhard, who loved it. And he had a plane actually opening some shows we did over the PA. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was a big fan of it. So I was encouraged to arrange three of the songs in the 90s for a friend who was marrying his Chinese girlfriend. And mm-hmm. I did this at a big event in Chinatown where I got married, and I know you know Lee Ronaldo was there in the audience, oh, cool. some other folks, mm-hmm. and they were all like intrigued that I had been able to figure out a way uh-huh. to play this music on the guitar, especially using my open tuning. Kind of bluesy Americana thing. Yeah, uh, and so yeah, you know, I was commissioned to make a record of it, and then they backed out of releasing it. It was a long, torturous process. You know, had the record ready to go, the label pulled back, and then they got signed as one of three American artists, the the three sole American artists to a French government backed jazz and world music label uh, called Lobel Blue uh, mm. in the year 2000. And so they said, well, do you have anything for us? I said, oh, yeah. Was um, <laughs> I didn't tell them. I've been sitting on it for like, you know, three years. But, yeah, <laughs> they were happy to put it out. We made a good deal. And uh, it really, uh, I was over there on 9-11 actually in Paris to promote it. Okay, And then was playing it extensively in one format or another. I mean, I don't think a solo show goes by, I don't do a medley of instrumentals. Is that
1: the Edge of Heaven? Is that the title? Yeah,
4: the Edge of Heaven.
1: Yeah, it's
4: really beautiful. So I got a volume two and a volume three now with Feifei ready to go, so I'll let you know as soon as I get this all lined up. But I have an album coming out, I should tell you. Yeah. The Knitting Factory label are putting a best of retrospective double CD out okay. uh April 15th. Okay. Which is going to consist of mm, some of my favorites from across the albums i put out. Wow. And uh you know, it was hard to pick. <laughs> I bet. But, yeah. Cuz I don't think anything is better than that. and I like them all so. Sure. But uh you know, it's a good sampler. It's called The Essential Gary Lucas. Okay. Uh, and, yeah, it's got some really cool graphics and a booklet. I wrote some notes, and then Glenn Kenny, who's a critic for the New York Times, wrote some notes. Oh, um, awesome. Yeah, I think it's a good, it will be a good introduction, and hopefully it's, it'll remind people of my work Sure. over a long time. and Yeah. So, uh, but there's a couple of
1: tracks with Fei-Fei on it. That's new. You just had a performance. From, um, was it this weekend? The past weekend with uh, with fei was it? Yeah, was no, they bumped
4: that. Unfortunately, it, I'm not sure. Something. I think uh, the person who was organizing it said they were too busy. To, to I don't know. <laughs> oh, wow. It was it was a Chinese New Year thing. Maybe. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, it was going to be at the. Um, uh, the what's it called? The Penn Club of New York, University of Pennsylvania, hmm. uh, College Club, and some the the Brooklyn Borough President was speaking, and I was going to play some songs, etc. It, but it's been postponed. So. Oh, okay, okay. Well, oh, uh, the next uh, gig in New York is actually Fed 19th at Joe's Pub at the Public Theater, and it will be. Essentially, Gods and Monsters with fei as guest okay. and a great singer from uh, the UK, Pierre Roxanne, who I who I heard opening for me and i invited to sing Grace and on this show I did two years ago in UK and he'll be in town. Is that, so,
1: is that also the, um, I did see you had, uh, it was Gary Lucas and Friends... With, yeah,
4: you know, that's what so. I'm calling it. Yeah, I didn't call it out. I'm just just saving that. We <laughs> have an official 30th anniversary show. I'm about to announce. I'm waiting for a confirmation on the date. Oh, okay. Uh, I hope to let you know real soon, but that should be near the end of April. Yeah. After cause... this best job comes out, I want to tie you know it in with a release. Sure. Yeah. 'Cause I saw your I um... mean it is uh, well the technical thirtieth was actually last year. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we didn't do it. I don't think we did any shows. You know. <laughs> I sort of put it in an hour. Yeah, but who's counting? I'm gonna put the Right. That's good. Yeah. It, it's like it's it hasn't i I've, I've sorta of ramped it down as far as an active project. Okay. The last few years. Basically because you running a band at a deficit is not much fun. Mm, and right. uh, without you know labels really supporting and a fan base out there, you and, know, and I, and I, I've put most of my energies in working in Europe for years. Mm-hmm. I never saw a way forward with the band here. I didn't really. I just couldn't afford to go and tour in the U.S. and pay people not what they should get. Right, right. So yeah. you know, it was, it was solo was always my fallback position. Sure yeah and uh but even there you know like i don't much play solo in the u.s unless it's oh you know once in a while i'm playing with cornell okay uh they contacted me at the cinema one the spanish dracula project and Hmm.
1: uh, yeah now is ernie brooks is that is that someone you've known for a long time because when you you
3: posted that
4: uh, we know yeah Yeah.
1: we know of him through uh for the last 10-15 years uh Arthur Russell's music has been huge. Oh times. yeah! So, well, so sure. That's okay. when we first we saw made that connection, and then we stumbled upon your uh, cover of "Let's Go Swimming," which was really cool. But um, yeah, yeah. Just I'm curious how that how all that came about, and if you well, had any, uh, you know, uh, if you knew Arthur back in the day, or oh
4: yeah, no, I mean Arthur, I met. I guess it was uh, must have been ninety. No, 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 82, Hmm. maybe. It was right after the Beefheart thing kind of blew up. So maybe it's a little later. And I was looking for new stuff to do. And then uh, I was still a copywriter at that point at CBS Records. And I was given a chance to produce. They wanted to hear... Something that would be the next Philip Glass they were looking for So I found, um, well, I'd seen him play, uh, a downtown sax player named Peter Gordon.
1: Oh yeah, Love of Life yeah.
4: Orchestra. Yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, so Peter was old friends with Arthur and they'd been in the band, I guess. And so I met Arthur at the sessions we were mixing up in Bearsville and uh, the studio up there and uh, I was really taken with him and his music. And then he and I started to hang out. Mm-hmm. And he played me and he gave me all of these, like, obscure but fantastic dance records he'd done with cello and a Oh, yeah. So I really went to bed for him and hooked up his last major deal, which was. Well, first of all, there was Let's Go Swimming as a 12 inch. Mm-hmm. And we arranged for this indie label I was doing A&R for it called Upside Records to release that as a dance single that had an option called Logarithm. Okay. And then uh, we arranged for Rough Trade to license that track for the UK because I introduced our to Jeff Travis, who was my friend. And he was taken with our time. So then Arthur turned in a record called World of Echo. Oh, yeah. Which uh, also awesome. Upside put out, mm-hmm. Rough Trade put out. And then Jeff signed him to a deal uh, for sort of a major in you know, a situation. I forget, was it Warner's, maybe? Anyway, it was called Blanco y Negro. Oh, label. yeah. Yep. And so Arthur was scheduled to do a record for that. And then he got cold feet about finishing it. You know, he was afraid it was like the last fair deal going down. Okay, so he just kept doing endless remixing and everything. <laughs> just to come and say, "So yeah, you're done, sir. Right, okay. Say, "No, no, no, but I need a little more money." He was you know, never, never money. finished, because, yeah, because he was afraid to put it out that it would tank. You know, uh-huh. like that was good. So I think, honestly, that's what it was. But you know, I. Love the guy. I put him with Vin Diesel. This is a good story.
3: Yeah,
4: oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah. Uh, Vin was another protege. I think I'm a very good talent spot. I
3: mean, <laughs> yeah. look,
4: you know, you got Jeff, you got Arthur, mm-hmm. you got Vin Diesel. Vin, Vin's real name is Mark Sinclair. Okay. And he was this kid from West Bath, which is sort of an artist complex, housing complex in the West Village. Of inexpensive, if you've got on the list, it was inexpensive studio space for everybody. he used to have a little breakdance routine and a rap when he was working at an ice cream store around the corner and i was he was really funny, charming, so I said, Well, listen, man, you know do you have the whole rap together yeah he did i could, i mean I remember it vividly. And so Jeff was in town, and everybody was, like, rap crazy. It was like the Beastie Boys and Run Dempsey had blown up. So everybody was looking for the next big thing. Right? Yeah. So I thought, well, he could be it. And then overnight he pumped up, he went to the gym, and he looked like he was macking, you know, and he was like a super buff guy. And uh, so he transformed from the skinny little kid. To a you know, like a LL Cool J type.
3: Okay, yeah. A rap
4: look, and so Jeff was like, "Yeah, okay." And at the same time, I was bringing Arthur. So he said, "Why don't you have Arthur produce a record, (laughs) a rap record?" On Mark, so I thought, "Okay, well." So they hit it off. There was this weird attraction there, and so I went in the studio with the two of them, and I was playing on the date. And for whatever reason, Arthur had a diabolical side. Sometimes he'd just get into a mood, and he could be very perverse as far as like trying to thwart expectations Uh of what was wanted in the session. So he started starting and stopping the tape kind of randomly. And Mark could not really freestyle rap. So he'd have these beautiful raps, but then the beat would drop out, Arthur's beat, and you'd be floundering like, "Where's the beat?" Mm -hmm. (laughs) So the session was aborted. I mean, it was an exercise in frustration. Sure. But I found a fragment. If you go to my SoundCloud page, just type in Arthur Russell versus um, what's his name? Vin Diesel. That's Uh his Hollywood name. Or maybe it's Vin Diesel versus Arthur Russell, I and mean, you can
1: hear. It. Is that the track? I know there was like a sleeping
4: bag. Right, there's one called uh, "Cause we Illin." I think. It was okay. The one. Okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh no! The one was? I remember that too. What was called "Get Off Get off the bandwagon"? <laughs> Get off the bandwagon. <laughs> uh, and the, let's see, what was this track was called? Oh. I'm the man of steel. You have to (laughs) hear (laughs) us. Just go and let I mean, it's got about 50,000 hits. Like, his fans found it. You know, whether he'll ever talk to me again, because I put it up, I don't know. Yeah. But I would not really. I mean, I haven't spoken or seen him since he blew up those videos on. Right, yeah. In all these years. But I knew, yeah, I, he was my president. And I knew how talented he was.
3: That's really But cool. he was a
4: goofball, man. He was completely undisciplined.
3: Uh-huh.
4: And he sort of so. Arthur was in a way, too. He both sort of self sabotaged himself. Right, yeah. When it came to confronting having an actual career with the mainstream. You know, they went on both of them. I mean, well, they were different in a way, but like, let's put this way. If I really wanted to be this obscure underground figure, at the same time, right. he loved flirting with you know, pop, and, and disco because he had some hits mm-hmm. in the gay clubs at one point. Uh, but under very fugitive names, you know, it was never killer <laughs> was never, was whale, not at the yeah, right. killer whale, there you go, and, yeah, uh, etc. So, and then Mark was just he didn't really know, you know, he just he. He was so talented and funny, you know, to be around, but loudly undisciplined and, you know, a complete, I mean, just hog of the spotlight, whenever he be shining on it. So that, like, he didn't take care of business. After, you know, the session was aborted, I took him for one last shot and making a record to Keith LeBlanc and Skip McDonald, who had Tackhead. You may know that Adrian Sherwood
3: oh, yeah.
4: worked it's... with Yeah, you know, they were the Sherman Hill Gang, mm. also on the uh, White Lines, and Doug Wenders, the, the Madonna, and uh, Keith LeBlanc. Those guys had a loft on 14th Street. So Mark only lasted about <laughs> 20 minutes, there and then Keith just said, I can't work with this kid. And help <laughs> so, because he was just,
3: you know,
4: oh, <laughs> undisciplined and sort of a goofball. I can't really describe it, but, you know, a lot of people threw up their hands in exasperation because he, you know, he refused to be molded, but,
3: you know, even
4: insofar as being able to, you know, just produce the rap in, a, in, you know, let's say, a confident way without stopping the tape. Yeah. So I do you know, like, I don't want really, to, like, to 'Cause like he has less laugh on everybody. Yeah. So uh, you know, and I I, I love the guy, but yeah. You know, it was back in the day, it was just, oh man, you know, what is it a lot of artists I worked with are uh, Mavericks to say the least. I and mean, going back to Bart mm-hmm. Arthur thing, they were lunatics in a way. Mm-hmm. I know that the music is attracts many lunatics, but you know you have to have a certain level of professionalism to to be able to get the work out there Sure. In yeah. coherent yeah. fashion and, you know,
0: anyway. and I'm sure that like New York at the time was a place where you were kind of trying to be like that at the time right it was like yeah you kind well of find your I,
4: niche. Was, I I was you know I mean look at, at that point I was like yeah I I had made a couple of uh album productions one was, uh, one was uh, Peter Gordon, and then another one, Tim Byrne, for Columbia. I produced a record called Fulton Street Mall, Bill Frizzell and Alex Klein, oh, cool. uh, with a rhythm section. And, you know, I'm sorry, it was the guitar, sax, and drums that was line up, no bass. Sorry, Hank, there was a fourth person, Hank Roberts, on cello, so he should have played the bass line, bass parts. But anyway, it's a great. Um, Psychedelic jazz,, uh, but they didn't sell, you know, so as far as CBS records was concerned, I was washed out there because they were just looking for hits, you know, so I kept bringing in maverick left field stuff, which is I mean, I don't think I have to prove my avant-garde credentials, things exactly. yeah. yeah well, you'd think that, but there's a whole little clique in New York of you know what used to be called downtown who look askance at me because i had a success in pop music with jeff buckley and joe Osborne and stuff so mm-hmm. can't please everybody you know exactly. i just can't actually that, you know if they can't put a label and put me in a ghetto of something or other like one, i'd get over this thing. that's their problem,
1: my problem. exactly yeah well, the Arthur Russell Vin Diesel collaboration is probably one of the most interesting stories in obscure music history. Oh, yeah, that's really cool that you're a part, That'll part of. That'll
4: be in my next book. Sure. <laughs> like he'd he he would want to bury those tapes oh, where yeah. they are.
1: And your your cover of "Let's Go Swimming." That's that's really cool because I I think um, Arthur Russell was so like his style is so idiosyncratic, and I think it's yeah. kind of tough to do. No, oh, it was. I, yeah. I just
4: took one of the piano riffs and I heard it on the guitar and I thought, yeah. I'm going to base that around
1: that. It's so cool. Took you, you took it Liberty. and did your own thing with it. Yeah. And it's yeah. really neat. Yeah.
4: Well, I try. You know, all of the covers that I've done, I tried to do them in a fresh way in my style and I never wanted to slavishly imitate everything. And that, that one you couldn't. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I mean, I was just proud that we got that track out. Oh, yeah. That's another story, too, because Arthur decided to remix it for release with multiple versions on this 12 inch. So he brought in the guy, Walter Gibbons, Mm -hmm. who was like another crazy from basically the gay disco scene in New York. And he'd worked on Set It Off by Strafe and some other, you know, sort of left field dance hits records right, right. at the time and he was a nut he worked at a place called Rock and Soul okay records so we had this all night session with him and he just was literally crazy than Arthur and the two of them were driving each other crazy <laughs> and Arthur was screaming like you're ruining my record what are you doing wow. <laughs> it was like total madness I just sat there t- taking it in exactly yeah trying to see really. you know about trying to you know i couldn't i mean they were cutting in the old days you know they didn't do digital editing they didn't have any facility for this so it was all Cut and paste. running mixes and then cutting pieces of tape mm-hmm. which would be hanging all over the studio on the wall with like you know adhesive tape and uh just cutting it all together to make these assemblages but at the end it was just beautiful worth yeah worth it, the madness Oh yeah, Yeah. and you can hear it. There's there's a great video synced up to this mix on YouTube, which uses aquatic imagery of beautiful tropical fish. So go look for it. Just plug "Let's Go Swimming" Record Russell into the YouTube search and and see this. Yeah, I think I've seen it. You gotta see it because I mean it's just beautiful. And that's the mix. It was the uh, coastal dub, I believe, was the name of the mix. Coastal dub. That's the one produced by Killer Whale. Okay. so we, yeah. so we but Walter Gibbons was great and all of his productions would say mixed with love by Walter Gibbons oh uh, that's awesome book. yeah now Gary you've
1: done a number of uh, a number of film scores throughout the oh, years oh yeah um, uh, your first one was, was for the Golem correct In the Golem which I'm
4: still doing
1: yeah, yeah, I was gonna yeah say. it's right
0: down the road from us
1: right <laughs> yeah absolutely um now that's, so that, it's been 30 years now, over 30 years. Uh, yeah, that's true. Now you still still performing it. Do you find like, um, do you get anything new from the film or the score or is it at this Every point?
4: time I see that film, I see something fresh. That's um, awesome. They recently came up with a new uh, cut of it, which is unbelievable. Uh, they found a negative that was based on a slightly different camera angle. It had two cameras running and covering each scene that were very close together. Okay. And the mounted tripod, but it's slightly different. And some of the footage that's in there is different. But it's so fresh because it's right, you know, printed off the negative. It looks like 3D, some of the images. It's so clear without scratches. So, working with that and the next one is in the up in uh, Ithaca. Cornell. I'm playing yeah, in Ithaca.
1: Yeah, what, what I'll be going
4: up, again? I think it's March 4th. I'm playing at the Cornell Cinema. Okay. All right. Cool. Yeah.
1: Are there any, um, any films you've seen, whether it's recent or over the years, that you wish you could have scored or you would have, you, you know, you had ideas when you saw the film or anything like um, that? Anything come to mind?
4: Mm, well,. If you mean silent films, I tried to pick ones that were offbeat and that did not have many known existing scores. And when I started doing it, I didn't really know of other people doing mm. silent movie scores. But they weren't like, you know, Francis Ford Coppola's father did Napoleon for Abelgaard. But there wasn't a lot. And then everybody sort of jumped on the bandwagon. So, I don't know. I tried to. I've changed it up because often I'll do scoring of films that have uh, at least dialogue, okay, but no underscore. Now, there's a few in the early days of sound cinema, like the Spanish Dracula and uh, Frankenstein. There's no music on there. Wow, they couldn't afford it. I couldn't afford a composer or an orchestra because it was a depression. So I've done about a dozen today. Yeah. And some are the commissions. I have a couple I don't want to tell what they are, but I'm very excited about.
1: Oh, that's great. We'll look for that. Them versus, yeah. So was the yeah. Golem, was that something you, you sought out? Or did, did you yeah. see it and have the idea? No, I
4: sought it... it out because I'd seen pictures in Famous Monsters magazine when I was a boy but I'd never seen it playing anywhere. But I just, when I got, a, I got a commission to do something with another art form, I was like, damn, what about the Golem? What a concept, a Jewish Frankenstein. Yeah. See that, So I asked around, finally I found that the Museum of Modern Art had a print, and I arranged to see it. And then I came out of there saying, that is the film for me. And I'm going to bring my friend, my childhood friend, Walter Horn in to play keyboards and do this as a collaboration. So he helped enormously get that together. And we debuted it in 89 at the Museum of the Morning Image, and it was a wonderful triumph for us. That's and then really I've cool. done it, I don't know, you know, countless times in all sorts of places all over the world. Yeah. Yeah, including, geez, I don't know, many film festivals and at the uh Venice, be and uh, just some great. That's cool. Great it's
1: had a experience. long, long life so far. It's cool to see. It yeah, still going.
3: Oh
4: yeah. Well, just like me, man. But yeah. thing, <laughs> and, uh, and I finish with ever for sure. You know, I just put them on hold if things aren't really going my way with the gigs coming in and the project, and move to the next one. Mm-hmm. But it's not like they couldn't be reactivated. You know, at a, any given moment, depending on the demand and budgets people have.
0: Sure, It's incredible how much stuff there is, and it's just so cool to see it keep moving forward.
4: Yeah, well, that's what you got to do, man. It's like that Robert Johnson song, Hell on my trail. I got to keep moving. Blues (laughs) falling down like hail. (laughs) (laughs) No, you have to, man. You know, Beefheart had a lyric, standing still is losing. Oh. the song Hobo Changba" from Trout Mask Replica. I mean. A straw wood claw rattling my jaw. Yeah. That's all you can do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's all you can do. Just keep moving. Just yep. Don't let yourself be a sitting target for idiots. <laughs> <laughs> Just so they've, since they've figured you out and ready to put you in that time box. Exactly, Just yeah. Keep yeah. coming with some Like <laughs> yeah. well, I hope <laughs> that this
0: inspires people to go down the Gary Lucas wormhole that we did. Oh, <laughs> I, I I can't believe how much, like every time that we turned around, I was like, this? And then Ray would call me and say, oh, this? And I was like, man, like when <laughs> is this ever going to stop? No, like, listen,
4: that's great. I mean, I need more guys like you. Hopefully, you'll get the message out, people here. Hopefully, this retrospective release will also, you know, alert some people to my presence. Because honestly, I'm kind of a well kept secret—very well kept, at least in New York. You uh, know, uh, I don't mean to have a sour grapes. You know, note of, to introduce here, but and a the major newspaper here—I don't think I've been mentioned in nine, about eight years, nine years, uh, at screw, all. Screw Where on. there's other artists who every time they go to the bathroom, they write about it, you know, or they, you know, give some appearance—it's like it's real important. And uh, <laughs> yeah, well, anyway,
0: I, we're gonna have to—we're gonna have to get you to Buffalo soon, cause uh, I'd love that, man. I
4: would love it. You know, like I played in Erie. Not too far from Buffalo. No, not far at all. Yeah, a uh, couple of years ago, I'd love to come up to Buffalo.
1: Okay? Let's make it happen.
0: Yeah, we have a yeah, few. Man. We have a very uh, few places that would be, you know, just right up, right your, right yeah, up your alley.
1: Perfect. perfect. Spots. And if, if it's right, you know, we can either uh, set it up ourselves or facilitate.
4: You know, we have. However, you could do it. You cool. know, just let's let's keep the dialogue going because yeah. I'd love to do
1: that with you guys. And Gary, uh, you know. We'd love to chat again. There's so much, uh, sure. so much to talk about that we, you know, unfortunately can't get to in one in one sitting. But uh, I got
4: you. Well, yeah. anyway, anytime you feel like it, just give
1: me a shout. Awesome. Anyway.
0: Well, and thank you so much for just, uh, you know, taking the time. You know, we're just fans, and you know, we appreciate, appreciate that, that you can do that for your fans.
4: Yeah, it's great. Of course, anytime, man. Cool. I appreciate
1: it. Well, all right. Is there anything you want to cool. you, you want to get off your chest? Well, just you know, <laughs>
4: yeah. I hope to everybody you know is having a great you know time going into 2020. It should be a very interesting year. and Stuff yeah, right. like going on every day. It's like some new shocking. <laughs>
1: exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, hope hopefully it slows down a little bit in that
4: in yeah, that regard. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, thanks a lot for your calling, and I uh, hope to see you in Buffalo.
0: Yeah, Definitely. we love it and uh, can't wait to hear all your new stuff that's coming out. Sounds like great. Lots, on, lots on the horizon.
4: Yeah, man. All right. All right Thank Gary. you. Thank you so much, man. All Gary. right. Have a great night. You, you too. Take care, take care uh-huh. man.